0: Hey,
3: I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist. A podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every single
2: Monday. And hosted by us. Welcome to episode 20 of The Limit Does Not Exist. It's another Kate and Christina episode, and we are talking about, yes, the election,
3: but through the human Venn diagram lens. Mm -hmm. We cover big data and whether or not it failed us in predicting the winner, plus the difference between certainty and probability, and the unseen biases that affected the models. Indeed.
2: We also talk about the social media echo chamber and how algorithms have played
3: a role in creating a news feed full of people who agree with you Mm -hmm. plus we check in on what we've each been up to which of course leads us to discussing superhero powers running long distances and feeling helpless yes helpless that's a hint Mm -hmm. (laughs) p.s
4: you're listening to the limit does not exist with christina wallace and kate scott campbell
3: hi christina hey kate how you doing? Uh I'm good. I'm good. I put on a shirt. Oh, um, which is That's a start. You know, yeah, well, so, you know, when you're the benefit of podcasts and radio <laughs> is that it doesn't matter what you look like, obviously. Uh and so, you know, I'm not saying every time I record I'm doing it well, not wearing a shirt, but like sometimes, you know, cause it's, it's in New York, it's after work for me. Oh, I know. Um, it's still an appropriate work day for you in LA, but here it's, you know, it's after work time. And so you come home and sometimes you just need to take off clothes. And, but then totally. I remembered that, um, podcast one has asked us to take some pictures of <laughs> our setups, you know, to show our audience kind of what <laughs> does it look like to record a podcast in your bedroom? That's right. And so then I had to put on a shirt. Shirt off, sheet
2: mask on is what I was hoping you were going to say. <laughs> you know, a throwback I almost put too. A sheet mask
3: on. I <laughs> the bought around yesterday. I stocked up. You did. I need
2: I some did. badly. But oh my I was gosh! Like,
3: you know, we already did that. We already did that in the yep, previous episode. We did. We Not did. interesting
2: anymore. So so, uh, so, alas, shirts are on. Go. I too am wearing shirts a shirt. I was going to say shirts plural. I have a shirt on <laughs> as well as a pair of pants.
3: Uh since I am in a workplace. I'm in the podcast well studio. Done. I think we're succeeding at adulting. Uh we which are is, you know, it's a big thing right now, seven uh, days out from the election, it to succeed at thing. both putting on pants. And a shirt
2: and leaving the house. It's really about the small things. They all add up. They really do. True. And true. last night, it felt like the universe was smiling at us because it was a super moon. Do we all remember when I said that I liked supermoons, and yet Mm -hmm. I couldn't exactly say what a supermoon was? (laughs) Now I have done my research. Uh, Wait, what's a (laughs) supermoon? Well, I have to give my friend Christine Claghorn the credit for this. She's claggy on Instagram. She's super cool. She geeks out over moons. She paints them and paints planets. She posted a picture through her telescope of being excited about the supermoon and I was like, Claggy, what is a (laughs) supermoon? I was in a heated debate about this, which I actually don't think we really had a heated debate, but I was just like upping the stakes on social media, which we'll certainly talk about later. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) And Claggy verified that it's when a full moon happens at the same time as its nearest orbit to Earth and since its orbit is elliptical, that doesn't happen a lot. So it's very exciting.
3: There you go. And it was really gorgeous.
2: Yes, the supermoon was really beautiful. It was much appreciated by myself and I'm sure many people.
3: I saw lots of pictures on Instagram. I, it's a little I, bit I like too. Manhattanhenge when the sun aligns right. the buildings in New York. Oh, I could go so out cool. and experience it myself, but given that I live in New York, the chances of me having a wonderful experience through someone else's effort on Instagram, you know, much Th- better. That's how I feel about snow since I live in LA.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I came to terms with it a couple of years ago when all of my friends who are on the East Coast of the Midwest were posting beautiful photos of snow, and I was like, it's like I'm looking through a window. <laughs>
3: It's <laughs> a perfect example of the the social media filter because you get the beauty of the snow without the slush, and the wet socks, <laughs> and the splash from the cars. Yeah, you know. no, it's so
2: true. There is that sludgy aftermath that uh, you know. A sludgy <laughs> aftermath also feels appropriate. <laughs>
3: Oh, my Lord. To what, okay, to, so well, before we get we to the election, which yes. we are going to, Yes. Uh, apologies for anyone who comes to us to avoid the real world. I'm sorry, but this episode, we have to go there. Well, but
2: before we do. Yes, but I do want a uh, caveat to say before yes. people start turning off our podcast, <laughs> I, I do want to say that you and I talked at length about this and yes. sort of how we wanted to talk about the election uh, through the lens of our show, because it is yeah. important to us that this show has been a respite. In in a way for many of our listeners uh, through mm-hmm. the stress leading up to the election. Um, mm-hmm. But, Christine, I think, as you pointed out, we definitely don't want to turn a blind eye to the election, the results of it, what's going on. But we also want to talk about it through the lens of data and a lot of other things that I think you guys are going to find really relevant to everything else we talk about. So
3: Absolutely. Don't give up on us yet. But before we, but before get there, we do that, speaking of social media, <laughs> yes. uh, Kate, you've been up to some pretty cool things oh in my the gosh. past few weeks. We haven't had a proper catch up in no. a while. And obviously, you know, I stalk you on social media. <laughs> uh, and Ditto. like... So share, share a little bit of what you've been up to.
2: Well, I think we can kind of co-share some things here because both of us (laughs) completed a very long distance. And I'm saying this vaguely because, Christina, (laughs) you actually ran a marathon. You ran the New York Marathon two weeks ago.
1: I I would
3: phrase it more like ran, walk, (laughs) limp. But yes, I completed, I made it from the start to the finish line of the New York City Marathon. I, a week ago. I, 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 a week. I, <laughs> it was a week ago, and I'm not deflecting
2: the attention off myself and pointing it right to you about the marathon. But <laughs> since since we've gone there, I mean, I'm so impressed. So, so what I did is I pretended to run a marathon, actually a half marathon. What I really did was bike, run in spurts, jog. Walk. Oh,
3: I didn't marathon. know that. I thought you ran the whole yes. half marathon, you know,
2: but in costume. Well, that is that is where I get the extra points because I was in okay. full wig, full makeup, ball gown. That's why
3: I was like, <laughs> doing kudos this. to you because I sweat like none other oh. when I'm running. And to do that in a wig with makeup? Yeah, yeah. I, Waking up. That gives me a little more sense of your, like, humanity <laughs> than opposed to your superhumanity. Well, it,
2: it's funny. And, you know, I think, I think by the time this episode airs, uh, it will be searchable online. So just check my <laughs> social media at Campbell Kate, and I'm sure you will find many a road there, or at least one. But, yeah, I was still freaked out, Christina, because the day before I did this, which was all for the glory of the internet, I mm-hmm. was driven you know, along this 13.1 mile course. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't <laughs> run. I like to power walk. I'm a really good power walker. I like to hike. I haven't ridden a bike. I don't think past like two or three miles. And so we're like on mile three and I'm just like, uh, am I going to just embarrass myself and just like totally, <laughs> totally burn out like two and a half miles into this on camera in, again, full costume and makeup and wig? Like what is going to happen? Luckily, as we say in this theater, Dr. Stage cures all. I think that's also true. <laughs> I think Dr. Stage is a nice term for adrenaline and, uh-huh. and, and, and some good power bars and a lot of water. Um, and it ended up being great. But I have so much... Much respect, particularly knowing that you actually completed double the length <laughs> that I completed, and, and I know that you were like, yeah, you were like, yeah, I've I've like run a little bit, I've done it a couple other times. Like how, Christina? How?
3: Yeah. So the <laughs> thing is about me, and this is probably like if I were to become a superhero, this would be like you know that that core. Value that that superhero embodies. Mm, Yep. Um, My core value is I am obstinate (laughs) as hell, (laughs) Um, and and uh, this is hyphenated, and I am motivated by medals, stickers, and grades. So when you put those two things together and you say, Christina, as a 32-year-old woman, would you like a shiny medal to do this thing, which you can complete as long as you don't stop moving? Right? Like I'm like, yes. Where do I sign up and pay $250 for the pleasure of doing so? So like, let's be clear. I am no great athlete. I am just persistent, mm-hmm. and as long as you keep going, at some point you finish. Uh, and That's so that a really has been good my ability to finish three marathons climbing Kilimanjaro trekking to Everest base camp none of it has been pretty uh <laughs> but I finished. oh I have I seen the video was that from Everest or you that was from Everest where yeah.
2: Christina everybody this is like my favorite thing ever it is online where you start <laughs> speaking in a British accent <laughs> at <laughs> high altitude <laughs> because because I guess up there you're just so vulnerable you're like a sponge and if someone else is speaking a British unless you got that like language to the altitude it has nothing to do i
3: had a a british roommate (laughs) on this on this 14 day long trek and as an actress i know you appreciate this as a singer as an actress my ability to match vowels and accents this is an issue i have to yep yep. i don't even try It just it comes out it's (laughs) like you know people often mirror body language yeah um you know you start adopting phrases when you spend time oh, around people totally know we, we both do this yeah exactly it's accents it's vocabulary <laughs> and by the time I got to like day 10 with this British roommate I just had an accent and I was saying things like the rubbish bin <laughs> instead of the trash can and the reason it's hysterical is because I am at like 18,000 feet in the middle of Himalayas doing a GoPro video for Yahoo Travel. Yep. So, this, is, <laughs> this online is all caught on camera. Yep. yep. For at least the foreseeable future. And, you know, it's up there with run, walk, limping across the New York City Marathon finish line. See, I think
2: that my superhero core value, which is also my Achilles heel, is that I, I can rapidly learn, which, which we have learned as a human Venn diagram trait. Mm -hmm. Like there Mm -hmm. is this lore from grad school. That is true that I memorized a Shakespearean soliloquy on a shuttle ride that lasted for (laughs) eight minutes, did it. And then right after I did it, I totally forgot it. But now the problem Mm -hmm. is, is that I think I can learn to do anything in eight minutes. So like the (laughs) week before I knew I was going to like bike run this half marathon, I was like, Oh, let me just go for a jog for about eight minutes. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'll just check in with my bod and see how it's going. Uh, I was sore all the way up until I actually biked the marathon from that one little jaunt. I was like, Kate, this is not, no. Speaking of things that you should get all of the stickers for Christina, mm-hmm. you just gave your first Ted X talk I this past did. weekend. Steve,
3: our producer is clapping in the booth. Uh, Woo! and I am going snap. And the the yes. greatest thing about this TEDx talk, in addition to it being about Human Venn Diagrams, so it's about all of you, our dear listeners, yes. um, it was uh, an opportunity that came to us because of one of you, because of one of our listeners, Absolutely. Angelica Mata. Uh,
1: Praise Angelica. Mata Jelly.
3: Jelly. Uh, uh, exactly. Snaps to you, Angelica, is part of the programming committee for TEDx San Antonio and pinged me a couple of months ago and said, you should submit a talk for this. Uh, And I did and they picked it and so I got to go to San Antonio for the weekend and hang out with Angelica and give a TEDx talk on... The future belonging to Human Venn diagrams. Yes,
2: so the title was, was awesome. The Future Belongs to Human Venn Diagram. So exciting, mm-hmm. so exciting to get to talk about you as a human Venn diagram and also our show. I believe that my large face makes an appearance <laughs> in it. Uh, yes. which is it's thrilling. The
3: the it's, a good, it's a very good
2: photo. <laughs> Thank you, but I cannot I cannot wait to see it. This weekend while you were in San Antonio, I was in a room where something cool happened. (laughs) Can you say it out loud? I can say it out loud. I met, Ah. I met show favorite Lynn Manuel -Manuel Miranda. Miranda. Let's, let's just, yeah, yeah. All All of the snaps. snaps. I'm still like, my palms started sweating saying it. (laughs) He is the most, Lovely. Uh, I interviewed him. He's he's part of. Uh, he he wrote a lot of the score for, it, and you can hear his voice in a, a new movie that's coming out called Moana. Uh, I was interviewing him about it, and. You know, everyone was asking me, is Lynn as kind as he seems? Is he as nice as he seems? Totally. He is just like a glorious human who is so, so whip smart. And uh, our STEM lovers will appreciate that I was asking him some really fun trivia. At one point, I was asking him how a hero's uh, strength is measured. And his answer was the metric system, which was so <laughs> fantastic. It took everything in me not to ask him to start singing For the Law of Signs that we've talked about. <laughs> On the show, which we learned, he covered uh, the uh, Billy Joel song back in high school. So anyway, Indeed. so 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 exciting to um, to meet this this human who has, of course, inspired us so much, inspired the world so mm-hmm. much, who mm-hmm. reminds us to. Always be creating, which certainly we're going to talk about on the show today, yes. uh, as yes. well, uh, you know, particularly with the current temperature uh, on whatever side you're on of, yeah. of the election.
3: So anyway, so the greatest cool thing stuff. about that picture when you sent me the selfie you took with him <laughs> was that I was literally listening to My Shot from the oh, new Hamilton, Hamilton mixtape. Tape. Yes. Yes. It so is so good. Like, <laughs> perfect
2: timing. Oh, Yes, I am so excited that that some of those songs are now out. Mm. It's so, so cool to to hear, like, you know, my shot, for example, where, you know, they certainly use the hook from the original song, but there's so much new writing in it. Um, and then you have something like Satisfied that Sia covers, where she basically just does the song and Queen it. Latifah yeah. comes in. And it's so incredible. And like, I don't know, what is it, Christina? It's like intersections on intersections on intersections, right? Because it Hamilton really is. itself is such an intersection of so much. And then, yeah. it, but it's kind of like you could just keep doing that. Eternally, you could. You know? I mean, you
3: really just say, like, here's some source material, riff on it in whatever <laughs> way you want. Yeah. And, you know, between the casting of the collaborations or the outside, you know, lyrics... Um, uh, and verses that you bring to it, I, mm-hmm. I keep thinking of like the immigrants. Yes, uh, get that's the so job incredible. done. I don't remember what the actual name of that song is. I just call it the immigrants get the job done song. Yeah, it's the battle um, of. It's
2: one of the battles, I think, isn't it? Yeah, they,
3: they so did they it literally at the, the Tonys. Keep that one yeah. bit of the phrase, but that's yes. really almost it for, yeah. for the song. And yeah. it's so I think between that and my shot, I've been basically playing them on loop for the last <laughs> week as I rotate between like, motivated to, like, do something and, you know, really contribute and find a way to get my voice heard and and play a meaningful part of what comes next. Yep. Um, And when I am wallowing in my bed and can't find the motivation to get up. (laughs) Well, I think that's what... It's nice to have an anthem, you know?
2: Yes. And I think that's what really struck me about meeting Lynn is just thinking about the impact that this man has had and continues to have by following his curiosity right and and by because i really believe that like you know everyone says follow your passion but sometimes your passion is you know is following your curiosities that's what you're passionate about and and he Mm -hmm. has the impact that he has made it just made me think how many people even just sharing that photo of myself and lynn right Mm -hmm. we were just together for a short period of time how much joy that brings to people just to see a picture of him. It's, it's just so yeah. inspiring. Um, yeah. to see, you know, the positive ways that he has impacted people, but to uh, jump on what you were just saying, Christina, and Mm -hmm. to use uh, a title of a song from Hamilton. What do you do when you're feeling helpless? (laughs) (laughs) You saw where I was going there. I did, I did. I set you up for that. Let's start, Um, we've been dancing around it. Let's start, we thought we'd kind of kick off talking about this election by some things that you can do, right? Taking some action. If you are somebody right now who, and by the way, you may not be, but if you are, if you are somebody who is (laughs) like, I'm feeling helpless. I'm feeling like I'm not sure what I can do. Christina, I think I saw on Facebook, right, that you yes. had contacted your local officials.
3: I have. Well, so the thing is, I consider myself pretty active. You know, I, mm-hmm. I kind of, I know who my elected officials are. I'm usually aware of the, you know, the big legislation that's going through. I can sometimes even quote vote counts on the really important stuff. That's and yet. I had never called my congressmen, my senators Mm -hmm. before and kind of coming out of the election this week and really feeling really just kind of helpless, Mm -hmm. uh, feeling very much like I want to do something and I, I don't yet know what that is mm-hmm. um, to make a really big impact, uh, one of the listservs that I'm on um, and the women on that suggested, okay, so let's start with the little things. What are the little things that you can do? Right. And one of them was call your local elect- elected officials, call your your Congress, in my case, Congresswoman and your senators, and tell them how you feel about decisions that are being made with the transition team, with appointments, with you know legislation that you want to see past and and make sure it doesn't get slowed up like the Paris Climate Accords, like, Mm -hmm. weigh in. These people work for you. You're a taxpayer. They work for you. So they work for a lot of other people, too. Right. But uh, but call. And so, you know, I think a lot of us millennials are a little averse to the phone call thing. (laughs) Uh, But I did it. And it took five minutes. What happened when you saved their phone numbers in my phone on quick speed dial. And it was just like, hey, I'm a constituent. This is where I live. So, you know, I'm in your district and this is how I feel about the following things. And I just I wanted my official to know. And they say, thank you very much. We will pass that note along. And it it seems like, well, what does one phone call do? But honestly, um, there's been a couple of great threads on Twitter the last couple of days of of former staffers, former congressional staffers who are like, you know what? If you don't call, they don't ever hear your voice. And if we get enough calls or we get enough actual letters, like letter letters, not emails, letter letters, Mm -hmm. uh, about a thing, they know that it matters and that puts pressure on them and they'll pay attention. Yeah. Um, And so it took me from being like, well, what can I do to be like, well, I at least can do it's more than like the hashtag activism or the Facebook bloviating to the people who probably already believe what I believe. And we'll get to that in a second. Exactly. It was something very tangible I could do. So that was one thing I did. And, then and the other thing I did. Well, I was going to say, and something that you or I or anyone
2: might not have done under uh, right. other circumstances, right? Absolutely. So like a great Absolutely. silver lining right there of not only are you speaking your voice and articulating stuff that is inside of you, which is just so important to do in general, you, you know, to people who, who really need to hear it, but you're also just figuring out like, yeah, who's my elected person? How do I reach out to them? And starting a conversation. So great.
3: And having that feeling of like, oh, wait, I'm the citizen, I'm the taxpayer, and they do work for me, yeah. and I should be paying attention and weighing in both good and bad along the way if I want my voice to be heard. By the um, way, I, so I'm hoping a... that I maintain this sort of level of caring enough to pick up my phone uh, going forward, right? For good and for bad.
2: Yeah. And just as a side point, just that idea of, oh, yeah, these people are here uh, – to work for me, to serve, you know, that is just such an incredible realization that applies to a lot of different parts of your life. Like I remember being in grad school and a classmate of mine was like, Oh, I don't, I'm nervous to go talk to the head of the acting program. I I don't know if like, I can talk to her. I'm not really sure if I can approach her. And I was like, you are paying tuition. You're being a part of this program. Like she is here to teach you, you know, like that, just the idea of taking the power where you can take power, particularly in Mm -hmm. situations where you don't feel like you have any, it is Mm -hmm. there if you look for it. It really is. Absolutely. So, anyway, yes, number and then two.
3: The other thing I did is basically say, Okay, what are the organizations that I want to make sure are strong and persist mm-hmm. um going forward and how do I want to support them? Is it volunteer time? Is mm-hmm. it a standing donation? Is it buying a subscription? Um, and so I went through and said, look, these are the three newspapers that mm-hmm. I actively read and I had a subscription to one of them and I sort of did my free allotment of the others and then you know found ways around the paywall by clicking through Facebook or whatnot. And I said, no, quality journalism matters to me. Mm-hmm. They are, are going to lose resources for investigative journalists and, and other kind of support staff going forward if they don't have a subscriber base mm mm-hmm. I'm gonna pony up and I'm gonna become a paid subscriber. So I subscribed to three newspapers, I supported a nonprofit news organization, and then I picked, you know, three nonprofits that I care a lot about that provide social services that I really want to make sure continue to exist. Mm-hmm. And I set up a monthly recurring donation. So I decided to put my my money where my mouth was and said, you know, if these things matter to me, let's find a way to make room for it in my budget. That's, and as several that. of my friends have pointed out, like five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, it doesn't seem like a lot to you. And over a year, it might not even seem like all that much. But $10 a month over a year is $120. Yeah, you get five of your friends, six of your friends to chip in, that's a meaningful amount of money. Yep. you know, and so you know, if you think about that same idea around what is my voice when I'm calling my, my elected official, what's my vote, I'm just one person, what's my $5 this month, mm-hmm. you you have to believe that there's power in incremental Engagement, and that yep. in the collective, it does matter. Otherwise, what are we doing here?
2: Yeah, so true, Christina. I also did this, uh, just starting monthly donations to to organizations that I really, really believe in. Um, and certainly, this is something that I have been doing with arts organizations as well. Even uh, <coughs> the the public radio station that I love to listen mm-hmm. to. It's so so important because. You're right. It is a way that you can affect change. And it's also thinking about it as an investment in yourself and in your community. You know, you really, we've talked on the show before about, um, tracking your values. This is literally just putting a a little bit of money and a little is a lot, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. where your values are. And that, that is incredibly empowering. Certainly. Um, Absolutely. It has been
3: I think there's also too. something about to your point of um, supporting your local public radio. I actually have also become a subscriber of WNYC. Mm. And that's weird for me because I don't have a car and I don't you know, like <laughs> have a radio in my apartment. But I found the way that I can listen to it through iTunes radio on my phone right. in the morning while I'm getting ready. Oh, that's so cool. And it just it made me realize and this is, you know, I think people probably recognize this with maybe gym memberships or other things mm-hmm. that once you pay for it, if you're anything like me at least, you go out of your way to make sure you're getting the value that mm-hmm. you have already paid. Mm-hmm. And so by right. subscribing to these things or by becoming a, you know, supporter of my My WNYC, my local um, NPR affiliate, it made me decide that in the morning, I'm going to turn this on. Yeah, I'm looking for information. I'm going to go to these reputable news sites that I trust their editorial judgment. I trust their fact checking and their research skills. I trust the quality journalism they put in there so I can trust what they've written. And we know that news organizations are not infallible. They screw up. (laughs) just like everyone else does. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can point to some pretty obvious screw-ups by some of the, the majors, but they also have, to my knowledge at least, the sort of ethics to fess up to that and to be very open and transparent about that. And so I now trust them as my primary news source. I think many people, I certainly am guilty of this, read a lot of my news by what shows up in front of me, mm-hmm. what happens to make it into my newsfeed, or what mm-hmm. happens to make it into my timeline on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's intentional. I follow a lot of journalists on Twitter that I value, and so I trust them to curate some things. Mm-hmm. But I think I have become lazy about proactively seeking out the real sort of research and truth, if you want to call it that, behind some of these things because I'm waiting for someone else to curate it for me. Yep, and. By subscribing, I'm deciding these are going to be my main sources of information, and I'm going to be active in going to them first if I want to know what's actually going on.
2: I think that's great. And I think that, yeah, that point, again, about how you feel like you're a part of it is really huge, you know. I think especially particularly living in a big city or – any place. I think anytime uh, I feel like I, and when I do, you know, support uh, something that's local or, or not even something that's, that's on a larger scale, I just, I feel like I'm, I don't know, I guess just fleshing out my world, fleshing out my community. Mm -hmm. Um, that feels really great. And also being on the other side, I mean, certainly like, we know every time we get a new Twitter follower or a new subscriber, like we are so thrilled, right? Like Mm -hmm. we, it's, it's just so wonderful. It's like great. Like we love hearing from you guys. And, um, we know most of you by first name (laughs) at this point. We do. We talk about you (laughs) in in really great ways. Um, but, but you know, it's true. Like being somebody who, um, you know, creates content. Certainly this podcast, uh, being a big one of those things. Um, it's it just yeah, being on the other side, it's so valuable. And I think it always inspires me to, to do better work, to continue to be mm-hmm. invested, et cetera. So it goes both ways. Um, Absolutely. which is exciting by the way. So those was, are two things, yeah. two things you can do if you're feeling helpless. I was going to say, Helpful. speaking, speaking of Twitter, Sorry. I would love to know, uh, never apologize for your <laughs> uh, gorgeous pipe singing some Hamilton. Um, I, I think it'd be fun, Christina. What do you think if we... I would love to hear from our Twitter followers. What things are you guys subscribing to? What are news sources that you really like and are listening to? Um, I, I would love to know what you guys are, are sort of seeking and reading and looking for.
4: That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers...
2: so, yeah, sort of a second thing to talk about in the election, which is certainly a, a, a very topical to our show, is the data. Yeah. Is big data. And obviously, the election results, in many cases, did not seem to look like what people thought they were going to look like because of what the polls had been saying, because of what had been written. So there's this big topic of big data. And did it let us down? If it did? How did it let us down? How did that happen? What is going on? It's been an interesting light to shine on data, its pros, its cons, where it is so far, where it has yet to go, etc. So we have a couple articles to talk about here christina
3: we do I, I think i sort of want to set it up with and and i think certainly this new york times article sort of gets to a lot of these points although i hate the title the title is, was originally i think if you look at the url you can often see what the original title was before so, editors may have so gone true, and revised it yeah 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 so the original title it looks like according to the url the data said clinton would win why you shouldn't have believed it now they've retitled it, How Data Failed Us in Calling an Election. Which is more clickworthy, certainly. Yeah, but the thing I about hate it. about this title is the data didn't fail us. The Correct. data is a fact. It's we've taken it in. It's a you know piece of information. What failed us were the models mm. that we put the data into. And talk a little bit more about, about that. Way, those models. Yeah. So the models those are um you know things you build in excel or you know in other sort of modeling software mm-hmm. where you put in assumptions you put in parameters you know you decide sort of as we've talked about a little bit in other cases, you know, what the values are, if for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, that you're going to imbue this model with. And then you you put the data through the model and say, well, this is what we know based on the questions we're asking and the people we've asked them of. Mm-hmm. This is what they've told us. And then the model then runs, often it's a Monte Carlo simulation, so it runs lots and lots and lots of times. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the distribution. Of those outcomes, and you can say, you know, we think 70% of those outcomes are this, 30% of the outcomes are there, so we have a 70% chance of this happening and a 30% chance of that happening. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the reason data didn't fail us is data was just, you know, we asked someone a question, they gave us an answer. That's the data. Mm -hmm. What failed us are the assumptions and the sort of values we built these models around and who we asked and what we asked of them. Right. So it's all of the human elements. Well, and potentially also how we ask them, too. Exactly. So there's a couple of things at play here. Mm -hmm. One was that a lot of the polls were national polls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of them going into the final week, except for one uh, based out of, I think, the L.A. Times, said that Clinton would win by a couple of points. And there was one that that had uh, Trump in the, the lead. And they all had a margin of error within the amount that they were polling the winner to be within. Right. So a margin of error says ah, within this many points, it could be the other direction. Mm-hmm. So in all of those cases, it was effectively a tie within the margin of error. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of people pointing to that one outlier poll say, well, they got it right. They're the only ones that called it. We should have paid attention to them. And that's actually not true either. Because if you look at the national popular vote, Clinton won it by mm-hmm. it looks like right now about a million votes. Mm-hmm. So a poll that has Trump up in a national poll is also incorrect. Mm-hmm. He won the Electoral College on a state by state basis, but he didn't win The popular vote. So in many cases, the national polls were right-ish, but within the margin of error, it was a dead heat. Mm -hmm. And the fact that anyone even ran national polls is very silly, given that that's not what decides the outcome of the election. Right. It's the state by state that matters. right? And so people gave a lot Nate Silver a 538, gave him a lot of heat in the week leading up to the election because he yep. had at one point, you know, Hillary Clinton at 90, 91, 92% chance of winning and he downgraded it to I think it was about 70% by the time the the returns started coming in on election day and people are like what are you doing? You're trying to stress people out. Like mm-hmm. that's not realistic. Look at these polls. And he was saying, look, I'm taking into a lot of You know information that's relevant here in particular there's a lot of undecideds and we don't know which way they're going to fall and in particular in the week before having the FBI letter from Comey come out and a lot of early voting happening before that clarified that there was nothing there decided things and a lot of the undecideds in those final hours swung for Trump. And he said, look, there's, you know, there's a lot of unknowns with these undecided voters. Mm -hmm. There's unknowns with this early vote. We've never modeled early voting before. And we don't know how much in every place has already been decided. Right. And, you know, we are asking people questions based on how we've always asked them, mostly over the phone, so that rules out anyone who doesn't answer their phone. Uh, that would be like me. I would guess that would be like a lot of you. True. Um, it also is uh, taking in assumptions that are based on past behavior. And as we've seen, four years is a long time uh, in the current climate around technology changes and the way that people interact with with their world, with how they get their news, with who they talk to. And in this particular case, Trump having never run for public office before, we had no past performance data to look at. We didn't have the ability like a governor or an incumbent president to say, in the past, his supporters underreported how much they would vote for him, that we've seen them say this many people would vote and then that many people turned out. Right. We didn't have that on him. So mm-hmm. all of these things combined gave us models that were actually had a wide variation. Yeah, well, and it's
2: true, too, because there is that thing that was in this NPR article about that it's hard to capture enthusiasm or lack thereof. What you're talking about with voter turnout, you know, that the pollsters actually overestimated Clinton supporters' willingness to vote – And underestimated it sort of on the other side. You Mm -hmm. also add on to that just the human piece of if someone did want to vote for Trump, but they felt like, "Mm, is this really anonymous? And they're feeling timid, the timid voter thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. so there's, there's certainly that human element in there that. You're right. In any data, there is a particular margin of error. And mm-hmm. also these aren't, you know, there is that thing that if, if a poll says, Oh, you know, Clinton had a 70% chance of winning, that is a, a probability, right? There's still right. a strong 30% chance right. that, that she couldn't win. But it is easy to look at that. You know, a lot of the, the data analysts now are saying like, it's easy to look at that and go, Oh, that's actually certainty,
3: but, but it's not. Right. 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 So Nate Silver spoke to this in a a New York Mag article um, that we'll link to Uh where he said, you know, we see this in the hospitals. We see this in a lot of other places where people say, you know, you have a 5% chance of of recovery or a 60% chance of this thing happening as a side effect. Yeah, And in reality, for us individually, we experience life in a binary way. Either it happens to us or it doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. So we individually mm-hmm. have a very hard time understanding a seventy percent probability. It's right really around. Around. or it's not gonna happen to yeah. It's not gonna seventy percent happen to me. <laughs> and so we look at this, and we say, Well, it's it's the majority. So that's a yes. That's mm-hmm. a that's a binary, that's a one, not a zero. Mm-hmm. When in his point is you know, if you're running the Monte Carlo simulation a hundred times, a seventy percent chance of winning means thirty times out of a hundred she doesn't win. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And there's this idea,
2: I think it was um, a research scientist in the Times article that says that there's a sort of overselling of of precision, right? Mm -hmm. That it feels like, oh, I'm seeing a number. And and then you also add this layer of interpretation on top of data, right? Which Mm -hmm. I, I believe you started touching on, but it's like, okay, If you know what side you're on, right, and you Mm -hmm. see numbers, how much do you say, oh, okay, great, 70, I don't have to worry. Like, it's definitely, like, it's a done deal or whatever, Yeah. right? I heard this really interesting statistic on my local uh, public radio station, KPCC, um, that said that 90% of voters couldn't even fathom that the candidate on the other side would win, Yeah. you know, that everyone was, like, so sure, like, my candidate is going to win. And that's really really interesting when you unpack that and think about.
3: Well, that, it's, right? it's also interesting as you look at all of these now postmortems that have come out in the last week of what the Clinton campaign did wrong or how people underestimated the Trump, uh, you know, ability to brand and, you know, really make a media machine out of this. And the reality is two things. Number one, a million more voters in this country voted for Hillary than Trump. That's just a fact And number two, the election through the Electoral College was chosen. uh, In the end, it came down to 55,000 voters in the states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. So we've got all of these pundits and these sort of interpreters that are now going back and saying, well, this giant glaring sign, we should have seen that, or they did that wrong, or how did anyone not see that sign? Mm -hmm. And the point really is like, no, this was almost a dead heat of an election. Mm -hmm. And based on the rules of the game, based on how we have set up the way that presidents get chosen here... We have contradicting outcomes of data in one direction and in the other direction, a tiny little sliver of a hair that one or two, you know, trends in the news coming out of it or whether they could vote early or not. I know Michigan does not have early voting. I don't know if Pennsylvania or Wisconsin does, but there is uh, so many factors at play that just like a tiny little tip of the scale one direction or the other would have changed that outcome. Sure. And so as as these pundits are are now with the same certainty that they predicted before the election and outcome, are now trying to do these postmortems on these giant sweeping trends that should have done the other thing. I just I caution our listeners mm-hmm. to sort of read all of these things with a grain of salt, with the understanding that like data is fact as far as the terms that it was collected under. Mm -hmm. But how we interpret that data and the narrative that we tack to that data and importantly, which data we exclude in order to get the data to fit the narrative can swing in multiple directions Mm -hmm. when it is this close. Yep, And I think that's truly the lesson, at least for me coming out of this and it will be interesting to see if 4 years from now you know 538 Nate Silver sort of rose to fame in 2008 with Obama's first election and then sort of really hit it out of the park in 2012 when he correctly predicted all 50 states. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, got it wrong this time. Although he would argue he got it right because there was 30% chance <laughs> Trump would win and, you know, one of that one of those right. 30 hits. Right. It will be interesting to see four years from now, are we still doing national polls? If the Electoral College is still in place, why are we doing them? Mm-hmm. Are we still doing predictions like 60% chance of winning, 57 chance, you know, 92%. Is that helpful? Um, does that tell voters anything? Or is that just something for people like me who every morning, the nine months before an election, want an update? To you know, get our little hit.
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah.
3: No, but doesn't help anything. Right, right. It'll be interesting to see where the media is four years from
1: now.
2: It it really will be, and I think you know your point about you know again we have to remember that that data is data we are human beings, you know, to consider the multi-layered quality of data is so important, and also how easy it is to have one of those layers be, you know, whatever our particular bias is, right, Mm -hmm. on top of something. I know we also wanted to just touch on on Facebook, too, and and I think this might be an appropriate time to talk about it, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, I know personally I have, particularly right after the election, had to take a bit of a step back from social media. The echo chamber has been uh, incredibly loud over here and Kate's uh, mm-hmm. Facebook login in Los Angeles. And, it, you know, you and I were talking about sort of the nature. Obviously, Facebook has sort of been brought up in the election as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of under fire for potential fake news. Uh, you shared this really cool thing, this, this algorithm of a red news feed versus a blue newsfeed is that yeah. a
3: simulation or is that an actual it's, yeah so it's an it's an actual thing wall street journal created this really cool interactive platform back i think it was during the primaries actually i think this is back from may oh wow but really sort of was able to point out then and they point out on the platform um on the page that these are not the views of the wall street journal these are just literally real-time uh posts that they were able to basically cultivate based off of keywords and these are all public posts so they're not like trolling through you know private things that, that you have set to just your friends uh-huh. but these were posts that people had shared publicly based off just a couple of keywords that were were relevant and they showed how different um, the coverage might be if you were quote unquote had a blue news feed, as in most of your friends uh, lean toward Democrat and liberal uh, viewpoints versus the red news feed, the conservative and Republican viewpoints. Um, it's really, and, really incredible. And really <laughs> emphasizing in particular. And and we talked about this a little bit, how even when you have friends across the spectrum, and I do, or certainly have family across the spectrum, you know, out of my 2000 friends, mm-hmm. easily, you know, 30% of them do not agree with me on most things political. Um, the way the algorithm has been tweaked since even the last election, and certainly since 2008, is such that when you like someone's post or when you comment on it, Facebook is more likely to show you more of those people. Or of and those posts.
2: it's more likely to boost that post to other people yes, to other people, so that yeah. it will show on other people's timelines. Yeah. So that an early click or an early yes. like comment will totally boost the post.
3: Yeah. And so you end up in this kind of spiral where out of your 2000 friends, or at least my 2000 friends, I maybe see 150 to 200 of them on any sort of regular basis. Right. And by the very nature of how I've interacted with them, the content they've shared, the views that they've espoused. Facebook is virtually only showing me the people that I agree with. Yep. That's and it. it has become such a place where it's now our front page. For most Americans, Facebook is the front page of their newspaper, not, <laughs> uh, you know, the homepage of the New York Times or the homepage of your local right. newspaper, certainly not the newspaper that used to show up on your doorstep. Right. So it, it plays the role of the editor. Mm-hmm. Of the news that mm-hmm. you get in a way that a newspaper editor used to play, and so if you are in your echo chamber, you are only seeing the things that you probably already agree with, or that you are getting in you know infuriated by the same things that are consistent with your values, yep, and it has separated sort of red America and blue America, for lack of a better uh, distinction, into our circles that are far, far apart and we're not seeing the other side in, to your point, legitimate news sources. Right. I think the fake news thing is a separate Facebook problem. Right. I know certainly I have uh, at least once clicked on something and gotten you know all up in a, in a tizzy over it, only then to look at the URL and say that's not a real right. news site. That, right. you know, that's not a thing. Yep. Um, but if you think about the – and this is why I think it's so important to subscribe to real newspapers right now. If you think about the financial model, the revenue model of media – Right now, mm-hmm. it's advertising. It, mm-hmm. And advertising rates are based on clicks. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get clicks for a moderate headline that <laughs> carefully weighs the facts and says, guess what, guys? This is a complicated situation with no clear outcome. Well, and it doesn't uh, maybe agree with the people who are whose news feed it's on
2: as well, who may oh, not want to click on it. Yeah.
3: Or are you going to get clicks for like, you should be outraged. This is completely roiled, you know, whatever. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I am outraged. So, you know, we're facing this like double whammy on social media of fake news gets way more shares than real news. People say, why don't newspapers cover, you know, this (laughs) refugee crisis or that? And we're like, no, they do, y'all. They do. (laughs) You're just not clicking on it. And so it doesn't show Yeah.
2: And other people aren't, too. I know. I'm thinking of a lot of things. Number one is, right, it's so obvious to see why that previous finding that I mentioned from NPR, about 90% of voters in each side couldn't imagine the other side's candidate winning. You see how that's possible, I'm talking Absolutely. about this Facebook stuff. And, you know, it's it's interesting, too. I think it's important to ask yourself on Facebook, whose posts aren't you seeing, right? Absolutely. If you're starting to see the same people's posts all the time... Whose post aren't you seeing? You know, I'm reminded, Christina, of that great Marquis Stilwell quote on our show Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. where he was talking about diversity versus inclusion. And he said, you know, if you hear five or six Me Too's, if you're in a conversation and you hear that go find a different group of people to talk to Absolutely. you know Ross wrote something on Facebook that was like hey he's like quick question if you got you know we have there's so many people on Facebook at least on on my portal on Facebook who are like I've just defriended everyone who doesn't agree with me yeah. um, you know or like don't even bother if you're gonna say something that doesn't agree with me like don't even bother and then yeah. you know we'll go ahead and post these like this is why you should vote for this side or that side Ross was like if you've defriended, you ev- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you've defriended everyone who, f- who feels differently than you do, then who are you talking to? You know? Yeah. And, and so like, and I don't, it's like, what is that? I guess that sense of, Oh, everyone agrees with me. Like it gives a sense of confidence or whatever. But the question is, if you are fighting for diversity or inclusion, but everyone shares your opinion. That mm-hmm. that is a time to to start <laughs> saying am i really fighting for what i say i'm fighting for, i think.
3: Absolutely. <clears throat> and i think to your point there's both the where are the voices that disagree with me, right? Mm-hmm. Or that that mm-hmm. if you believe that people on average are reasonable and well-meaning, mm-hmm. you should be able to engage in a conversation with people who disagree with you. And i know yeah. that on online on social media, that might be an absurd assumption. <laughs> uh, but at the very least, it'll tell you who you should meet up with in person over a cup of coffee to have this conversation. Absolutely. It's way harder or to at be least an to someone to their face. Yeah, so true. And, you know, if you aren't hearing those dissenting voices, you need to figure out why and, you know, see if... You've shut them out, unfriended them. They're just not showing up in your feed what that is. Or if you just live in in real life in a bubble Mm -hmm. that uh, reflects the echo chamber of your online world. But the other thing is, you should be looking at, from Marquise's point of diversity and inclusion, are there voices, even that may agree with you, but might have different prescriptions of what we should do or understand the problem coming from a different point, are there voices you're not hearing from your own side. And I certainly am, you know, guilty of this, where I can go down this rabbit hole of 50 person email thread with (laughs) all these people that are just as upset as I am. And we're like, why is nothing changing? And then I take a look at it. And I realize that it's 48 white women, (laughs) most of whom are cisgendered. Heterosexual, Mm -hmm. middle class, and upper middle class, highly educated Mm -hmm. white women, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that is such a redundant intersection of the real world. That I'm not surprised that we're all beating our heads against the wall saying, why will this never change? We're like, Mm -hmm. well, because we're all talking to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's as important as it is for me to find people who disagree with me, it's also important for me to say, where are the queer voices? Where are the women of color? The men of color? Where where are the the older people, where are the working class? Where are the you know, working I come class? from a part of the country that most people would consider working class on the edge of poverty, flyover state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know uh, many of my family is, still in that position. Some of them have left as I have and as my sister and my mom have. But you know, that's still very much a part of our circles and, and how we understand the world. And then when I look at my feed, that's not who I'm seeing. That's and right. when I talk to day in and day out in my life in Brooklyn, that's not who I'm talking to. In the startup world, that's certainly not who I'm talking to. So yep. how can I be cognizant about which voices I'm listening to Yep. Uh, and make sure that I've got a broader cross-section so that I'm not just reinforcing the things I already believe, at which point, as I've often said when hiring people, if you consistently agree with me, one of us is redundant, and it's probably (laughs) not me, you know, if I'm paying the bills. So, um, so, you know, to Marquise's point, if we all agree, then we're kind of redundant, and we should be opening the circle and finding a different Conversation. Yeah, it
2: is so true. It is really easy to, you know, feel like, oh, yeah, I have a diverse and inclusive community. And oh, totally. But the question is, you know, talking about, Christina, where you came from, you know, in my family, uh, there are a lot of veterans in my family. There's certainly, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of military um, involvement in my family. Like, none of that is on my feed, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. What, So, like, what are those areas that, it, it, oddly enough, I think the day after the election, I, I said to Ross, I was like, you know, in a weird way I feel more aware and connected of a whole to a part of the country that I just haven't been. Do you know what I mean? And he's like, Kate, that's so strange because I think the problem is people feel disconnected. I was like, yeah, but you know, again, as human Venn diagrams, we are really good at bringing unlikely things together. This is something yeah. that we're good at. We yeah. we live in the intersections. We're very good aggregators. We're very good mm-hmm. puzzle makers. You know, using mm-hmm. puzzle pieces that may not even look like they fit together. This is our time to you know put those skills to, to work in our in our own communities. Absolutely. And, and say, yeah, how can I do that? Uh, you know, on a local
3: level, and then and then state. Federal beyond and beyond. So, and um, and certainly I would encourage all of us for not just political reasons, but for like the sake of our humanity to get (laughs) offline. Yes. And have these conversations in person. Absolutely. You know that your blood boils 10 times faster when you misread a sentence on a text message or on a Facebook post or in Twitter than if someone were to say that to your face and you had to either immediately jumped down their throat or had to pause and say, can you clarify that? I'm not sure I understand where you're coming from. Yes. Do you mean this? Yep. Do you see how that could be misinterpreted as that? Right? It is so much harder to be an asshole to someone in real life. Not impossible, <laughs> as I know very well, but way harder, especially with people you care about, But somehow online, it's really easy to be an asshole to people you care about and, like, decide to end friendships or cut off family members over things that are not... Insurmountable. Well, I think that's a really good rule of thumb for online.
2: And if I write this, is this something I would say over a cup of coffee to a friend? Exactly. Like to if I was face. sitting there with you as a rule of thumb, because I am always so amazed when I've only known people online and then I meet them in person, how different they often are. Like that is mm-hmm. very strange. You know, um, Absolutely. speaking about getting offline, we are as we always are on our you and I. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we covered are good. half of what we want to cover. In always, uh, always, but always. but don't worry, you guys. We will we will bring back whatever we don't cover. But I think it's a really great thing to sort of end on this idea of getting offline. What can you do, Christina? I know that you just ordered a bunch of books, didn't you?
3: Oh I ordered so many books. So but, you many know, books. the answer is always a reading list, <laughs> a syllabus. Like give, <laughs> give me the work to do. You know. Um. Yeah. So I, you know, to your point of. Or maybe it was to my point. One of us made the point. To of, the point. Let's of. listen to voices that are not the voices we typically listen yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. You know, I took a look at what I've been reading, what art I've been consuming, mm-hmm. um, what, you know, conversations I've been participating with, and I have made a very conscious decision that I want to shake it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I did a little googling, I did a little research, and I came across five books that I just went on Amazon and ordered. <laughs> so my, my book stack has grown a little and has not actually gone down as fast as I was hoping, um, as well as an, uh, an article that I have read a couple of times that I keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some artists that yeah. um, I want to learn more about their work. And I want to um, sort of see and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is this is my version of the lightning round this week, a self curated lightning round.
2: Oh, so yes. let's cue yeah. our lightning round. And and say, yes, instead of doing our lightning round this week, we're each going to just sort of go through a quick list of artists we're inspired by or things that we're doing right now in the world.
3: So um, we'll publish my whole book list on the show notes, but yeah. I think the number one book uh, that I started digging into uh, the second it, it got here today, this memoir called Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. I've seen reviews and excerpts of it for the past six, seven months. I've known it was something I wanted to read. I finally ordered it. It is so eerily similar to my childhood oh, and my where I came it. from. Uh, but it's wow. just basically digging into you know this one uh dude's story and he does admit he's <laughs> like I'm a white dude a heterosexual kind of by every other means would be you know highly educated Yale law school I don't look like I should be quote unquote like a diverse voice mm. but he grew up in as he calls it the hillbilly section of Ohio and Kentucky the holler the working class uh world um And there's a lot to unpack from the motivations, the backgrounds, the experiences of people who come from that background. And so I started digging into that one. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also have, you know, the G- new Jim Crow from Michelle Alexander, um, Between the World and Me. If you haven't read it yet, uh, you know, I know everyone has been reading it. I somehow have not gotten to it yet, but Tanisi Coates, that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this this article from the MIT Entrepreneurship Review, The Unexotic Underclass, which I think for anyone in the tech world is required reading. Mm-hmm. That basically says, are we solving non-problems? Are we clustering <laughs> on the code? are we in our echo chambers are we solving Mm. things that are not really meaningful and in the meantime completely overlooking the stuff that does matter Mm. um, and making something of value so that's on my reading list and then from an artist perspective i am super psyched to take a look at the work of paul rucker jenny holzer Tlaloc rivas who's a a playwright and a theater director really focused on the latino experience uh mia lynn uh Carrie Mae Weems, who does very cool thing with fabric and installation of photography, just really great voices showing in a, in many of these cases, very interdisciplinary, inter, you know, intersectional human Venn diagram approaches to art and conversation, mm. none of whom I had heard of except Laluk before I did my research, but all of whom are doing amazing work and in, in meaningful ways. And they're just you know, they don't have the same visibility as some of the other artists that everyone can name. So super excited to to dig into their work and, uh, I love and post that. them in our show notes.
2: I love that. That's awesome for for my part of the lightning round, I do want to talk about yeah, it, for me, it has been so important to. Create just to keep always be creating, right? ABC but just to keep mm-hmm. making things. Um, the day after the election, just being on social media, I had so much that I realized was inside of me that I just like wrote. I wrote a really bad essay, like a purposely bad <laughs> essay. I think this is so important to do. It, it's like I was telling you, Christina. It's like you know, writing a letter to your ex that you'll never send that you like rip up and and whatever. I mean, maybe at some point this bad essay will turn into something that I'd like to publish, but but maybe not. The point is, is that uh, I just needed to get it out, right? Because if I didn't, then it would just start like tangling up inside of me and not do anybody any good. So, you know, I have been turning to things like The Artist's Way, which I did so long ago, but, who, you know, Julie Cameron talks about just even make something really small. Like, I know a lot of people who yeah. feel like, ah, I have nothing to say about this. I can't synthesize this yet. That's okay. Like, mm-hmm. can you make a really dumb... Snapchat 10-second video or you know, play something on the ukulele, like get offline, you know, mm-hmm. um, just like doodle something just to try to turn some of whatever you're feeling into something else so that it, it is yeah. that thing. Um, in terms of artists, uh, I have a few to shout out for sure. I want to shout out Gabriella Sanchez, who is an incredible fine artist and illustrator living in LA. She also did the titling for Tutored, so I'm biased. I love her. But <laughs> she has recently moved into a loft and just opened up up space in her loft for just like to show art that wouldn't get shown anywhere else. And she's just bringing in a lot of people from tons of different backgrounds, ethnicities, all kinds of different places. So I just want to shout out Gabriela Sanchez. Uh, in the theater world, Sima Sueco, who was recently appointed deputy artistic director of the arena stage, she started a company called Maoleo in uh, San Diego and then moved to Pasadena Playhouse. She's just an incredible champion of the arts and about bringing all kinds of different things to the stage. I've been wanting to check out her work for a long time. So I'm going to do a little digging into it. I also just want to shine a light on this guy I follow on Instagram. I love following Dallas Clayton. I don't know if you follow him, but he's such a I don't he's such a ray of light. He lives in LA and he's somebody who just, he'll like post a sign on um, the side of a building or write in chalk, just all of these like little beautiful things that you will then stumble upon uh, just sort of when you're out in the world and like remember to take a moment and appreciate what's around you. Um, there's another guy on Instagram named Adam JK who is an independent artist. He has these great books. I think they're called, one of them's called A Day to Time, but it's just these like he just does these small pieces of art that I have found a lot of comfort in also as someone who loves to create of like, Oh yeah, this pencil sketch made me smile that this person mm-hmm. made. Um, I can do small things back to what we were talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. that will build and build and build and tweet us yours as well. You guys, we want to know who are you, um, exploring and listening to taking a look at how are you seeing things differently, opening your ears to new things and also just how are, how are you dealing? How are you staying creative and inspired and, and forward moving? Well, Christina, It's been so great, as always. Indeed. Uh, We will see you guys here, same time, same place, next
3: week. See you next week.
1: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
4: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
0: slash iHeart.